So if you still have your, your Bible in your hand, please turn with me to the book of Ephesians. I've said as we work through this book that the book of Ephesians is divided into two sections. Chapters 1 to 3 deal with God in Christ, what he has accomplished for us by his grace. And so it's a statement of a fact, the fact of salvation, redemption. But then in chapter 4 through chapter 6, Paul moves into the, the practical applications of those doctrines. Now, as we've preached through the book, we've applied each section, uh, but that's the overall flow of Ephesians. If you were to sit down and read this as one sermon, that is how it would read. And so last week, we, we talked about the, the unity of the church, that as we're, as we're called to walk in love, that we recognize the, the unity of the body of Christ. And then today, Paul's going to discuss the diversity of the church, the diversity of gifts. So we're going to pick up reading today in verse 7 of chapter 4. And we're going to be looking today through verse 16. Your bulletin, you'll see that verse 7 through verse 14 are printed, but we're going to work two verses beyond what you have printed in your bulletin today. So again, this is Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll begin in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it, it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, we Thank you for your holy, inerrant word that you have given to us. This light to our path in a dark place. Lord, we pray that you would give us the spiritual guidance, the spiritual wisdom that we need from your word today. We pray you would do that by your spirit in our hearts, working through the word. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. 
the world has always struggled with this tension between unity and diversity. The world talks about unity, but then often that can give way to uniformity where we are expected to be the same. Or the world will talk about diversity and want to celebrate diversity, but then the diversity gives way to division. And so the question that we often face is, how can we have unity without uniformity and diversity without division? And what we see in scripture as a picture of that is the human body. That the human body is a beautiful picture of unity and diversity. Because there is unity in our bodies. That we have one heart, one mind. We have one spirit. We have one purpose. But then thankfully our bodies also have diversity where the hand is not the foot. That the tongue is not the lips. The eyes are, are not the ears. And, and so within that diversity, coming together enables us to live and to work and to, to glorify God. And that's a picture that we see in Scripture for the church as, as well. That the church has unity. That's what we talked about two weeks ago, that we are one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. But then now Paul's moving into diversity. But yet within all of that unity, that there are differences and that those differences are good, that they build up the body instead of leading to division. And so today, today we're going to look at, though we have different gifts, we have different roles within the church. We have the same goals. So we have different gifts, different roles, but yet we have the same goals. And so first, we have different spiritual gifts, according to this text. Different spiritual gifts. Look again at verse 7. You see, Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So you see Paul here talking about grace, that we've received, we've received grace leading to salvation. It says in Ephesians 2 that by grace you have been saved, that's not of yourself. That every single true believer is saved by grace. But then God not only gives us grace and salvation, but then he graciously gives us spiritual gifts. And you see in verse 7, he talks about the measure of Christ's gift. That every single believer has spiritual gifts, according to the Bible. But then we receive different gifts. We don't all have the same gifts. And then we also receive different measures of those gifts to build up the body. This is what Jesus illustrates for us in the parable of the talents. So if you turn back in your Bible to Matthew 25, you'll remember this where Jesus is giving parables of the kingdom. And he talks about the kingdom of God 
like someone going away. So this is Matthew 25, verse 14. Jesus says that the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And this is where we get the, the English word talent. It's from this parable of Jesus that we have abilities, that we have gifts, spiritual gifts that the Lord has given us, but it's in different measures. Even here he talks about some had five, some had two, some had one, each according to his ability. But then each person within this parable were to use, to steward, to put into practice these gifts that had been bestowed upon them. And that's how we can think about our spiritual gifts as well. You have spiritual gifts. I have spiritual gifts. And that's why even in our text, if you turn back to Ephesians, he said that grace was given to each one of us. That no one here can say, well, yeah, I'm part of the church, I'm a believer, but God will never use me in any way within the church. Or any kind of jealousy of the gifts of others, well, some other person is far more gifted, or I, I wish I had their gifts. But Paul says, no, that we each have gift according to the measure that Christ has given us. And what's remarkable, according to Paul here, is that these gifts are actually the, we could say, the plunder of Christ's victory. Look at how Paul describes that in verse 8. He says that we all have gifts according to Christ's measure. Verse 8, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. You say, well, what is Paul talking about here? This is a notoriously difficult section of Ephesians to understand, especially in verse 9 where he says this parenthetical statement that in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. You say, well, what is Paul saying here? How is this important for us as we think about our spiritual gifts? Well, Paul is quoting, he's referencing an Old Testament text from the book of Psalms. That's why he says, it says, he's, he's citing the Old Testament. And he's quoting for us Psalm 68, verse 18. So turn to your Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. We were just there, but this is Psalm 68, and then listen to the, what Paul is referencing. This is Psalm 68, verse 18. It says, speaking of God, speaking to God, he says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, as I read that, you may see some, some differences between what Paul quotes in Ephesians and what you read here. One is Paul's quoting it in third person, he ascended, where this is written in second person speaking to God that you ascended on high. 
But then also notice the, the change of that main verb. In our text in Ephesians, he says that he ascended on high and he gave gifts to men. But then look at the way it's quoted there in your Old Testament. It says that he ascended on high, leading a host of captives and receiving gifts among men. So instead of being the one giving the gifts to the captives, he's the one receiving the spoil of the victory. What's going on here? Well, Paul is not mishandling the Old Testament. He's not being loose in his handling. But what he's doing is something that he does often, where as he's, he's quoting an Old Testament text, he's actually paraphrasing the Old Testament text in his own words and drawing out the true meaning and interpretation of the original text, showing the expansion of this in God's purposes. Because this psalm is itself pointing to another Old Testament text uh, from Judges chapter 5, verse 12, where Deborah and Barak face the forces of Sisera and God gives them victory over their enemies. And they, they bring the, the captives through the victory that they had from the Lord. And the, the psalm is saying that, that God will ascend to the true Mount Sinai, to the true sanctuary, and that he's going to, to rise as the victor over all of his enemies, bringing the captives with him, and that he'll receive everything, that everything will be put under his feet, that he will receive all of the plunder of his enemies and his victory. And so then as Paul reads that, he recognizes, well, if, if, there, if God is ascending, well, that implies the descent. And Jesus is truly God and truly man. And that Jesus is the one who descended in his true humanity to the lower regions of the earth, taking on himself a, a true human nature. And that he defeated all of his enemies through his perfect life, his death. And then in his resurrection and ascension, he ascended up, as it says in Ephesians, that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of the glory, uh, that, that all things were put under his feet, all of his enemies, all rulers, all principalities, all spiritual darkness under Jesus, and that he receives everything, not simply as God, because as God, he's had all for all eternity, but he receives an inheritance as the God-man. But then notice the, the incredible, gracious reversal, even from the psalm, where in the psalm, he's, he's leading the captives, those whom he has vanquished in battle. But what Paul is, is showing for us is that we ourselves are the captives, that we ourselves were enemies of God, that we were raging against God, that we were opposed to God by nature. And that Jesus, he subdues us as his enemies. But, but then he brings us not simply as enemies to face judgment, but that he redeems us. He clothes us in his righteousness, that he gives us hope. He adopts us into his family. And so then as he receives the spoils of his victory, then he comes to us, the captives, and he distributes the, the booty, he distributes the plunder of his victory over sin, death, and the devil to us who were formerly his enemies. And so 
The one who received all from his enemies gives gifts to his people. And to me, that is very encouraging. And I think it helps us reflect on the nature of our gifts. That the gifts that you have, the gifts that you are called to exercise within the church, are gifts that were purchased, that were claimed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that gifts were given to you as a captive, as a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that those gifts are not something that you deserve. It's not something that you obtained with your own wisdom and your own strength, but it's a gift. So you can give thanks to God for the gifts that he has poured out upon you. If you don't know what your gifts are, to, to test your gifts by serving different ways in the church and trusting that no matter who you are in the church, no matter where you are as a believer, that Christ has given you the spoils of his victory to serve to use for building up the body of Christ. It's exciting to be a Christian. So that's our first heading today, that we all have different spiritual gifts, that each one of us has gifts, this plunder of Christ's victory. But now let's move to our, our second heading. So we said we all have different gifts, but the second, we all have different spiritual roles. We have different spiritual gifts. We have different spiritual roles. Turn back in your Bible to Ephesians 4. And look at how he outlines these different spiritual roles in verse 11. So after his parenthetical statement, he picks up in verse 11, and he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here you see a, a diversity of roles within the church. And you'll notice that not only does God gift us with spiritual gifts, but then he also gives spiritual roles to the church that as people have certain gifts according to the measure of, of Christ's gift, they are to use those in particular roles within the church for building up the body of Christ. And so look at the, the roles that, that he outlines. So the, the first role is the apostle, that he gave apostles to the church. And an apostle was someone who was an eyewitness of Christ's resurrection, who was specifically commissioned by Christ as an authoritative witness to the resurrection, and then was tasked with laying the foundation of the church, upon which we are built as the church today. And there was a special measure of the grace of God given to the apostles. The, the grace of seeing the resurrected Jesus. The grace of speaking the authoritative word of God. And that's what we have in, in the book of Ephesians. This is the word of the apostle Paul. But it's not just the word of Paul. It's ultimately the word of God. And that's an incredible spiritual gift 
that God gave to a mere man named Paul and the other writers of the New Testament to give us inspired, holy, inerrant scripture, and that we are blessed, we're built up by the gifts that God gave to the apostles. But we could say that it's an extraordinary role, extraordinary, that the apostles laid the foundation of the church, and we build on that foundation, but we don't expect apostles today. We don't have inspired scripture being written, but we're building on that gift that he was given to the apostles. So that's the first role, apostle. But then look again at your Bible. He says that God gave the apostles and then next the prophets. So you could think of the Old Testament prophets speaking the word of God. But then even within the church in the earliest period, you had the apostles, the authoritative witnesses who were writing the New Testament scriptures, but then God also gave inspired prophetic word to people within the church who were able to speak the word of God to build up their early church at a period when they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have a completed New Testament. And so God laid that foundation with the extraordinary role of the prophet at that period. But just as we don't expect apostles today, we don't expect prophets today, that we don't have the role of prophet within the church. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, that there's only one foundation and you build on top of that. So that's the second role, that of the prophet. But then look at the the third role. So we have the apostles, the prophets, and then we see the evangelists, one who proclaims good news. There's a lot of debate among commentators of what Paul means by the evangelists, but I agree with a 19th century commentary by a theologian named Charles Hodge, and he saw this as, as as a unique role that is still, we could put it in the extraordinary role within the church, but it's something that you actually can see today as well. That there are times when someone may be commissioned by the church to go into a place where the gospel has never been proclaimed, where there's, there's never been a gospel witness. And often when they do that, they have a certain level of authority um, that is different than the ordinary role of a pastor. So they, they are to themselves train and appoint elders within churches. They are to themselves receive members within the church. You can think of even the Apostle Paul as he was planting churches, that he would establish a church, appoint elders, and then he even commissioned people like Titus and Timothy to go out and to appoint elders within the church, that they were operating in a a special capacity as missionaries of the gospel, but their goal was not to continue in that role, but to establish the core leadership of the church and elders and deacons. So we see it today, but it's an extraordinary role, like someone going into the jungle to plant churches. But then we see the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Those are the extraordinary roles. But then we see an ordinary role. He says, the shepherds and teachers. Now, some people see that as two distinct roles, 
But if you follow the footnote in the English Standard Version, if you have the ESV that I'm preaching from, you'll notice that the, the footnote says that it could be translated the shepherd hyphen teachers. And that's because in the original language, this is governed by, by one article. And so I won't bore you with Greek grammar, but the idea is that those two concepts are, are bound together. So it's, it's not just talking about a teacher, but it's talking about a, a shepherd teacher, somebody who is exercising both roles within the church. And this is what you call the ordinary role of a pastor within the church. This is the role of the, of the elder, the overseer, the teaching elder, whatever role title you want to put with it. But the ordinary pastor within the church today is called to be a teacher, to teach the apostolic word, the prophetic word, is called to be a shepherd, to, to know the flock, to encourage the flock, to protect the flock. And so I see this as part of my role, that I believe as a, as a pastor that, that God has given me spiritual gifts. And I believe that part of those gifts are as in shepherding and in teaching. And that, that my goal then is to, is to shepherd the flock that God has given, to teach the flock that God has given. But then notice the, the purpose of this, that Paul says it is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so in a sense, I see my role not as the ministry itself, the ministry proper. Sometimes you'll talk about me being in the ministry, and that's not incorrect. But what Paul's saying is that the shepherd teachers are there to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So who is actually doing the work of ministry? That it is the saints who are carrying that out. And that my role as the, the shepherd teacher is to equip the saints to do that ministry using their gifts. And so we've talked about the role of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd teacher, but then you see here the role of the saint. In the very first sermon in Ephesians, we talked about how every single true believer is considered a saint, one who is set apart, is holy to the Lord. But for every one of you here, your role within the role in the church is the role of saint, that you are called to be saints, to be holy to the Lord. And it says to, to use your gifts for the work of ministry, that ultimately, as we consider the, the life of Hope Presbyterian Church, that you are the ones who are doing the ministry of Hope Presbyterian Church. I have an equipping role. Jonathan has an equipping role, but you are the hands and feet. You are the ones who are doing the work of ministry, that you're doing the work of ministry when you serve in nursery so that parents can be in the service, that you are doing the work of ministry when you, when you give in generosity to keep the work going, that you are doing the work of ministry when you greet people coming in or when you set up signs on the road or when you put out chairs or when you break chairs down or when you make coffee in the back or when you greet visitors or when you show hospitality by inviting people into your home or into your life or when you send in an encouragement to somebody who is struggling within the church, or when you give a word of encouragement, or when you give a word of challenge, calling someone to faithfulness, 
that these are all ways that we are called to do the work of ministry. This is your calling in the Lord, to use your distinct individual gifts, as he says, for building up the body of Christ. So we said that we have different gifts, we have different roles all coming together. But then, as we wrap up today, I want to talk about our common goal. Because we said that it's, it's unity in diversity, that we have diversity in, in gifts and in roles, but then we have unity in our goals. Look at how Paul summarizes these goals at the very end of our text here. So verse 13, he says that as we're building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, there's a lot we could talk about there, but I think that as Paul outlines the goal, that we can summarize it in, in three words as we wrap up today. And the first word, the first goal is maturity, that we exercise our, our spiritual gifts and our spiritual roles to attain maturity. He says, for mature manhood, that we would no longer be children, that when we come to faith, when we're, we're new in our faith, we're children, we're spiritual babies, and that our, our goal is to, to grow up, to go from eating, having just milk, to having solid food, to, to know the word, to know what it is, to use our gifts, to glorify him. So that's the first common goal, maturity. The second that Paul outlines here is stability. And that's connected to maturity. But he says that we would be stable, that we wouldn't be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. That without the use of our spiritual gifts and spiritual roles, that we're going to be tossed around. That the latest philosophy or the latest political theory or the latest idea that you see in the news or the latest scientific theory that these things will, will, will blow us like the wind. We'll be constantly switching churches, constantly switching theological affiliation, constantly changing views. But Paul says that, that we should be equipped so that we will be stable, that as the waves are blowing, as the wind is blowing, that we're, we're, we're fixed, where the, the, everything is going around us, where the stone that is on the shore and the waters isn't moving it, but it's going around it. We're not being tossed to and fro like a buoy on the waves. So that's the second word. We said maturity, stability. And the third word is vitality. That when we're using our spiritual gifts and our spiritual roles, that it leads to this goal of vitality. And see how Paul describes that in verse 16. He says that the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That it's this vitality of the body, that each part is, is working and that it's, it's love then that becomes the, the, the blood in the body, that, that it's growing up organically together, building itself up in love, all to the glory of God. And that's what we desire as Hope Church, that we want to see love characterize our church, that we want to see that when people come to Hope Church, that they see that this is a place where people have different gifts, where they're using their gifts, and that the, the fruit of that is that they're building each other up in love, all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of Christ. We thank you for his victory, that he descended into the lower regions of the earth, taking on himself a true human nature. We thank you that he ascended above the highest heavens, that all things were put under his feet. We thank you for his glory. We thank you that he gave us gifts, that he poured out the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost, filling the church with your spirit as a temple. And Lord, today as, as your temple, with your spirit, we thank you that you have not left us alone, that we have these spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I, I pray that each person here in the room today will know their spiritual gifts, that they will use their spiritual gifts. Lord, I pray for any who feel jealous of others or feel discouraged in their own gifts, that you would give them encouragement, that you have given grace to each one of us according to your measure, and that we all have the, the plunder of Christ's victory poured out in your grace. And Father, we pray that as we live in the church together, that, that I could be faithful in equipping the saints as a shepherd and teacher. I pray that you would help each person here to do the work of ministry and service and evangelism, and hospitality, and supporting the church in its worship and work to their best, the best of their ability. And Father, we pray that you would give us then spiritual maturity, spiritual stability, spiritual vitality, that we would build, be built up in love. We pray this in Jesus' name.